fires are burning across the underhive tonight as the glass eater cult continues to push their territory out from the sump, coming into violent clashes with both the auxilia and the warmongers. So far, the Splatterhawks and Nutty Jays have not gotten involved directly, but rumors of assassinations that fit both gangs' MOs have been reported against high-level glass eater targets. We will continue to follow this chaos as it develops just for you. We are your friendly pirate Voxcasters, 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio, surfing the Vox waves of Innsmouth Hive. As always, I am your celestial light in the void, Goblin King, and today I am joined by my extremely dependable co-host and underhive navigator extraordinaire, Marky. I totally didn't write those notes for Ryan. That was all him and not none of me. You didn't, you didn't help me at all? I did not help you. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, today we're going to jump into the Skaldmare worlds, which is my subsector, my kind of campaign area portion of the Warhammer 40k universe. I'm going to read some of the chunks that I've developed and then Marky and I are going to have a little bit of a discussion on it. This is a lore stories, a UHM lore stories episode, but it'll probably end up being a multi-part episode. I know that we do have Tom's Byzantine Empire Part 2 coming up. And Marky, you've got some expanded orc lore for us too, don't you? You developed a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I think after like our brainstorming, because mine wasn't exactly set in stone. So I think now it's more of, okay, these were the these were the ones, the little tidbits that we came up, came up with. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that I decided to keep. Cool. So it's more of a locked in actual lore stories versus like a brainstorm, what should we do? Or how would we come up with lore in this certain situation? Awesome. Just to fill you guys in and to kind of let you know where we're at, we are getting ready to jump into Astra Militarum and then do an episode or two on Orc history before we get into topic that's near and dear to Marky's heart, which is Gene Steeler cults. This episode or these episodes of the Skaldmar Worlds will fit in really well because this was actually a writing project that I developed when I was trying to figure out how to revive my Imperial Guard army. From a collection, from a hobby standpoint, I had collected a lot of Katachan stuff and then Katachan stuff was no longer available. And I had started to collect Kadian stuff because they had started to move towards the Kadian storyline, the Kadia storyline as a company. And that had been what was accessible everywhere. But every once in a while, they would release Gaunt's Ghosts. There was Colonel Schaefer's Last Chancers, which were a specialty line of, I think, like 13 models that were kind of all based on the, the idea of um, what's that? What's a World War II show where they're all in a prisoner of war camp and they're trying to Hogan's Heroes? That was it. Uh, I was going to say, I don't watch war stuff much. Uh, so you're asking the wrong. This is a Tom and Kevin question <laughs> I know. that you were trying to line Who? me up for, and I was Who? not ready. <laughs> <laughs> so Colonel, Colonel Schaefer's last standards standards was a, was a specialty set in like fourth edition. It was pretty cool. I'm sure we'll okay. talk about it again. I'm sure if we mention it, we'll be like, Hey, Kevin, you know, last time we talked about Colonel through a 30 minute segment of, yeah. you know, whatever Kevin's watched in world war two movies, which I'm sure is a long list. <laughs> but I remember it being kind of like a dirty dozen Hogan's heroes, like the, the great escape kind of style idea. Anyway, they were pretty neat. Uh, I just watched a movie that Tom told me to watch. I think it was called We Were Soldiers. I don't know if you've seen it. 
a Vietnam War movie, I think, right? Yes. It was like uh, Nicholas Cage say, or somebody. Not, not, not Bruce Campbell. Damn it. What's his name? George Clooney? No. God it wasn't damn, Nicholas Cage? No, it's not Nicholas Cage. Ah, what? Dude, I just watched it. What the? F- I know his name too. Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Mel, Mel Gibson. Dude, did you know yeah. that? Oh my God. I can't believe I'm drawing all the blanks on these names. Uh, the guy from Avengers, Coulson. Do you know Coulson was in that movie? No shit. Yeah. Huh. Spoiler alert, he dies, but he's in the movie. <laughs> does, he, does he come back later <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for the television yeah, show he comes back. He comes back in a prequel. <laughs> we, in the prequel, We Are Soldiers. <laughs> we are. I, I know we've talked about it off podcast, but uh, revelation to you guys on podcast. I'm not, I'm with Marky. I'm not a huge real war movie guy. I like war movies, but I like my war movies to be kind of, weird i really liked battlefield la or battle la oh dude i really liked that one too yeah it was, it was, Marine, was marines versus aliens that shit yeah, i'm down like for urban warfare <laughs> yeah. against aliens it was so Fucking dope dope as shit but you want to you want me to watch like platoon and and i used I, to I, be I, still haven't seen it. I used to be really into all that stuff because one i had an interest in making short films i made short films for about 10 years and two, I had a fascination with World War II to post-World War II chunk of history. And then I studied it in college a little bit more deeply and realized that I really liked super old shit. <laughs> I'm really into like Macedonian, Egyptian crap. Like if you want to talk about hoplites and the shield phalanxes and round shields and spears oh, so and all that shit. Yeah, I, that stuff I like <laughs> a lot. I love the mummy. I, and yeah, I'm I'm just way more into pulp stuff. I want to see that Tomorrow War movie. That looks pretty uh, cool. You haven't seen it? The one with no. uh, Chris Pratt? Yeah, the one I was going to say, the one with the Star-Lord. <laughs> I'm so bad with names, dude. Oh, that's cool, <laughs> You think man. I'm bad with maps. You haven't seen my. <laughs> you haven't seen me talk about movies. Like, that one guy with that the blonde hair and the blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I really liked the Edge of Tomorrow. That was dope. When it comes to like real movies, I think there is just a, I don't know when. Something shifted. Something about watching actual combat is just not interesting to me anymore yeah yeah uh, i mean make it dumb it and over the top and <laughs> yeah i watched it and like just seeing it i'm just kind of like i would much rather be watching like lasers go through people's faces yeah let me just than, watch than bullets <laughs> let me just watch keanu reeves murder like an entire room of people with a pencil right now yeah like, that'd be, that'd be better fucking pencil <laughs> with the fucking pencil <laughs> yeah no nah. and i mean that's he, like finds out whose car and whose dog he was like you did what he's <laughs> you dumb fuck you did what <laughs> you're no longer my son <laughs> <laughs> I'd be I don't. In that same buddy. <laughs> oh man! And then Halle Berry, that was great. Oh my god, dude! And I—they're making a another one apparently. Are they really? Yeah. I mean, I, they, yeah, they have—they kind of yeah, have to. This would be the third one. Fourth, I think the Halle Berry one, Parabellum, is the third one. Oh fuck, man! Jesus, I remember yeah. when the first one came out, dude. I feel like it was that long ago. <laughs> there's, there's John Wick. There's John Wick 2, the clever subtitle, and then there's John Wick 3, Parabellum. Oh, damn. Okay. And I don't remember what John Wick 2 was. It's clever, though. I'm looking it up. <laughs> John I mean, they probably Wick. are on 3. I'm just, you know. Oh, yeah. So dude, they're, with... they're working on John Wick Chapter 4 right now. 
Yeah, I should have known that with how good my memory is. John Wick Chapter 2. It's just called Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Just Chapter Yeah, you know. It's the second one, Chapter 2. So circling back around, a horrible segue. (laughs) uh, I know you have like 30 pages of lore. I do. Of of your Eldar. I do. Now, you have this. Of the Skaldmar worlds. Skaldmar. So it's not just Eldar. It's it's all-encompassing of your Eldar and other armies so, that you have, right? So this was primarily a writing project that I started when I thought that my eighth edition comeback was going to be Imperial Guard. Oh, okay. And then what happened was I started playing with you guys. Right. And it very quickly was like, okay, I should probably do my Tau because nobody plays Tau. And then I played another game and I was like, okay, Tom plays Tau. <laughs> and then uh, the larger group that we used to do stuff with didn't have an Eldar player. Those of you uh, listening to the podcast and Marky, you'll remember this. And that was what happened. It was like, hey, you know, get your Eldar up and running. And I said, yeah, cool. I can do that. And I had always wanted to do Exodites. Or, well, yeah, I'd, I've always wanted to redo them as Exodites. And I was right. finally at a point where I'm like, I know what I'm doing with 3D printing. I know what I'm doing with kit bashing. I'm at a point where I can focus on my hobby a little bit more and not just rush to get stuff done. So I, I developed or I went down that Exodite path. So so, so Skaldmar, word, Skaldmar worlds are more mm-hmm. all-encompassing of mul- like multiple things, not yes. just Eldar, not just uh, Imperial Guard. It's... It's, it's, it's overall lore that you've developed. Yeah, it's overall lore okay. that I've developed in the universe to use as kind of like a, a starting off point. But that, so like a foundation. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, dope. That's a really that's a really dope idea. It was an interesting writing project, and I wrapped in a lot of my past gaming, and I wrapped in some of my future plans. And you know, we'll, we'll, let's dive into it. Yeah, yeah. So the Skaldmar worlds used to be called the Maiden Worlds. When I had originally written all of this stuff, I had named them the Maiden Worlds because the idea that I was playing with was the idea of a shield maiden, which is a a Norse myth or a Norse piece of history. Maybe not a myth. It's just a part of Norish lore, Norse lore, Norish. I just made up a word. I was like, I I, I need that title that pops up down here. That's like, instead of like historian or whatever, it's just like... Ryan Barry makes up fucking words. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> um, so an, it's an old Norse piece of lore that was basically women who went into battle along with male soldiers. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they existed and that they happened a lot more than we think they did. And there's also a lot of conventional teaching that says they didn't exist and then there's some stuff coming out now that says they existed but they probably weren't called shield it's very messy history is weird but i basically just took that kernel of this is an idea that you know obviously like thor ragnarok they've got we've got the valkyrie chick who's pretty badass the show vikings we've got all those chicks that are pretty badass and then i've been going to renaissance fairs since i was before i got into gaming i was going to renaissance fairs yeah, and um, Vikings is like a so, very glorified version of yeah. actual Viking col- uh, culture, Norse. Oh yeah, Norse it's, it's culture, very right? the the television show Vikings is a fictionalized television show. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm trying I'm trying to think of like an, an analogy for it or like something that would be similar to that. It's like watching The Fast and the Furious and thinking that yeah, that never okay, mind, yeah, never yeah, mind, yeah, never really mind. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> it's like watching the later Fast and the Furious movies and thinking that that's what car culture is all about. <laughs> 
Well, There's a lot of car okay. culture that doesn't enter the Fast and the Furious movies. I was going to say, even, a lot the, of even the first physics. movies. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, the first movie was about stealing VCR DVD combos. They're not going <laughs> to jump a pink RX-7 across a bridge that is lifted. They're not going to do that. You're not going to total my car because you think it looks cool. And I'm sorry. You, and then they do it and you're like, that was dope. I need to watch the next movie. I, <laughs> I know a lot of people give those movies shit, but honestly, that shit's entertaining as fuck. Oh, yeah, of course. It's just, it's dumb. It's dumb action. And I love it. <laughs> just give me dumb action. Dude, we watched... Hit it, hitting that red button, just putting all that nitrous in your engine. Dump it all into my body, yeah, into my brain, it. into my, yeah. I want to like This guy's like, I got two cans of NAS. I got two <laughs> red buttons. <laughs> you know, so, so it, may not be, twice. it may not be super accurate car culture wise. It may not have really good gun physics. It may not have the best. But it looked like it look good. Realistic fights, but you can fucking eat popcorn to the entire goddamn thing. Yeah, so, so like Vikings. So yeah. glo- very glorified. Yeah. Vi- Vikings is a very small portion of what Norse Viking culture was. And it is 100% romanticized and glorified. Like the Skaldmar worlds. Like, <laughs> like the, not like the Skaldmar worlds. So <laughs> as I started developing more stuff for my Exodites, it, and this goes back to some of the creative writing stuff that we've talked about before, I mentioned early on, don't get hung up on a name. And I didn't. I put the Maiden Worlds down and I kept moving. And I always had it in the back of my mind that the Maiden Worlds was something that was already used in Warhammer. And it was one of those, I knew it was already in use and I knew that I needed to change it. I just hadn't put the pieces together yet as to why. And then when I started developing my Exodite stuff, it refreshed into my mind. Okay. Maiden worlds are an Eldari term, which is used for basically paradise worlds. These are, uh, yeah. So there's the crone worlds, which are the original empire of the Eldari. And then there's maiden worlds and maiden worlds are the perfect world, either perfect worlds they found or perfect worlds they made. And that goes back to the, the idea of the crone, the maiden and the matron, which are three beliefs in pagan society or or some pagan society that there's like an old woman, there's a young woman, and then there's the wife and those energies and how they balance. But we're not going to get into that because that's my weird religion stuff that nobody wants to hear about. (laughs) I mean, eventually I wouldn't mind hearing about it. I never really heard much about, is it paganism? Pagan, paganism. Well, paganism just means not easily defined by the like big five religions that exist. No, well, it, it, so Pagan is just no structure. There's a belief system, but there's no structure there. So there's Norse, okay. there's Norse pagans, there's Wiccans, there's Native American beliefs that are kind of put under paganism. Paganism is kind of like how there's 90,000 different variations of Christianity. And uh, you can just say these people are all Christian kind of, I don't know that that's a bad, so something loose, loose. It's a loose term. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. Pagan means that you are not Christian, including Catholicism. You're not Jewish. You're not Muslim. You're not Buddhist. And you're not Hindi, essentially. It means you don't really? fall into one of those. Are those like the major ones, I guess? I would say those are the major ones. I don't know. I mean, Christianity, Judaism, what's and the, what, Muslim. What's Tom Cruise? Muslim Scientology, which is. So that's Yeah. I wouldn't that's call not, I wouldn't call that a major religion. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a Scientology is not really something that doesn't ex, that exists in other parts of the world. It's pretty much a here thing, and it's oh, pretty really? much a, and it's pretty much a rich, rich here thing. thing. Yeah, 
Uh, you have to be, it's like being in club 55. Like you have to, the Disney, the super exclusive Disney club, you oh, have to right, spend right. a bunch of money. There are not people in third world countries who follow Scientology. <laughs> there are people in third world countries who are Jewish and Muslim and Buddhist. Yeah. So I believe Tom Cruise is going to come and help him. Yeah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Help me, Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> help me, Jewish God. <laughs> I fucking love Talladega Nights. It's so good. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So I changed the set the, the area to the Skaldmar worlds. And the reason that I went with that is the word Skaldmar actually means shield maiden in Old Norse. That's an illustration of what you can do with your writing. If you've got an idea, you know, you really like the space Marines, so to speak. What's another good example? Okay. So I'm sure when everybody at Bungie sat down to come up with Halo, they're like, hey guys, we like the idea of space Marines. Space Marines at that point was kind of culturally zeitgeist. They existed in the movie Aliens. They existed in Warhammer 40K. They existed in lots of video games up to that point. Fucking Doom guy is a space Marine. And I'm sure at some point they're like, yeah, space Marines are cool as shit. Let's just write this dude as space Marine. And then at a certain point, somebody was like, you know, there were these super elite warriors back in the day called the Spartans. Let's call them Spartans. And everybody was like, oh, that's dope. <laughs> I think is, ha- is, I think Halo is 300 a, a a glorified version like Vikings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mean they uh, didn't they didn't yeah. kill that charging elephant with one spear? They're probably that didn't happen. There probably weren't elephants there. <laughs> <laughs> and and the immortals were not monsters. Badass part things. of the movie. Yeah, yeah, you know that. So <laughs> that's a real battle that actually happened. That's right. a real um, battle. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a thing somebody wrote down that we kind of pretend may have actually happened. (laughs) So there's a dude in ancient history called Herodotus and Herodotus wrote down a lot of things that happened in the ancient world. And one of the things that we know about Herodotus is he made a lot of shit up because it sounded cool and it sold books. It looked cool, too. Yeah. (laughs) Herodotus was like, hey. I need to fill this entire amphitheater with um, can we three thousand Greeks real quick? Herodotus. Yeah, his name is Herodotus. That is a that is a a fucking name, right? Yeah, Yeah. Herodotus. And and he's kind of like a Shakespeareish figure too. We're not really sure if it's one person. It could have been a bunch (laughs) of dudes just making shit up. Oh Jesus, (laughs) that's great. Herodotus is an interesting individual. But the point being, there was a battle at Thermopylae for. Thermopylae? Thermopylae? Thermopylae, I believe is I the pass at one point and a very small force that was probably closer. I think at this point they say probably closer to a thousand Spartans and Greeks. Like it was mixed. It was Spartan and Athens and a couple other places held off right. quite larger Persian force long enough for enough reinforcements to show up that they were able to push the Persians back. Um, Tell me Leonidas was a lie. I, he, May have existed. I don't know <laughs> what you watched that was directed by Frank Miller was fucking cool. And you can eat goddamn popcorn to it. Okay. <laughs> and that tactic, the hoplite fighting style dominated the battlefield for thousands of years. Round shields and long spears were the, the top of military technology for a long time. So you needed a six pack. <laughs> and you needed a six pack. Wear, wearing no clothes, wearing a, a super long, uh, wearing a cape. red diaper, wearing a long cape, breaking lines to wade out into the enemy with axes. None of that probably happened ever because don't, that's don't not a tactic. Yeah, I'm sorry. It looks don't, cool as don't shit. Ruin this one. Dude, dude, the fucking slow mo. Oh my God, the slow mo. I know, right? 
You're just bullet like, time. It was bullet time before. Well, it was after. It was not. It was after. It <laughs> I was, was gonna after. say. I was gonna say. It, it, it was and, spear time. And technically, first, <laughs> Halo came out before the 300. So yeah. <laughs> but again, Spartans have always been something that we understand culturally existed and were the pinnacle of military technology at one point. I just basically did the same thing. I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do. And then I made sure that I moved towards that idea later on. And that's something that we recommend to you guys as you develop your own lore. I'm pretty sure, Marky, you've done it in a couple or you did it in a couple of instances working on your oryx you just put a pin in a name you're like kind of like this concept we're gonna we're gonna hold it yeah. we'll come back to it later yeah 100 percent. but i mean a lot of people's brains work differently than mine i'm a, a very free free spirit i a very degaff attitude so i can be like yeah ball sag chinny and that sounds dope i'm gonna keep that I'm one a, for I'm later gonna, i'm gonna move on the example is how i came up with the name for skaldmar worlds but the piece of advice to take away from this is do that. Take that degaff attitude when it comes to Gum, a name. The Gumby attitude. Yeah. Because who, who knows what name is going to settle and who knows when you're going to come up with the best name. You might be walking your dog or taking a shit or pissing yeah. or I mean, inspiration buying a beer from, and you might. Yeah, yeah. Inspiration comes from from everywhere and at random times. Yeah, I wasn't originally going to come up with, you know, spawn corn army. But here I am before it was doom guy, doom guy and demons. Now it's spawn would have been necro demons. The war criers who we're going to talk about here as we develop, as we get into this lore, originally was me taking the Imperial Navy from Star Wars and making it a Space Marine chapter. So yeah, hell yeah. The Skaldmar world, ah, Skaldmare worlds. I you sw- you'd think that I would know how to pronounce my own fucking old ass words, right? Yeah, but it sounds cool. Yeah, that's what matters. Skaldmare worlds. So it's Heratitus. 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 I know you're not a huge history dude, but if you want to be vaguely entertained about history for a little bit, watch or listen to Hardcore History with uh, Dan Carlin. He gets into some really weird, obscure shit. If it's it's not like 300, it's going to be a real hard pill to swallow. I'm not going to lie. He... He pretty much centers around the cool stuff. To tell you the truth, I stopped, oddly enough, I stopped listening to some of his stuff when he got into like modern warfare because I was just like, I don't care that much. We were talking about this with our space, with our weapons and tech episode. I don't really care if some idiot figured out if you put two rifles together and you slave the triggers, you can kill twice as many. It's just not interesting at all. Oh, you have a slightly bigger machine gun? Who fucking cares? I don't know. Yeah, I uh, I went down a, a rabbit hole of I, I was just listening to like random YouTube videos and one came up about how the M16 was developed. And I was just like, this is the, the most boring shit. Yeah, <laughs> but it's weird, though, because like, then somebody will talk about how the crossbow was invented and I'll be like, oh, oh, I need to. Oh, I need me a crossbow. <laughs> I need to listen to all of this dude's stuff. And then, he'll, yeah. It, but for some reason, if you want to talk about something, if you want to talk about something that we think we're going to develop in the future, I'm into it. If you want to talk about something some dude figured out 2,000 years ago, I'm into it. You want to talk let's about ta- Let's talk clock? about rail guns. I don't give a shit. Let's talk about rail guns. Oh, my God. Have you watched the rail gun videos? The Navy rail No, gun I didn't videos? know there was one. Dude, I'm they're gonna insane. Need to. <laughs> the Navy has told somebody on YouTube who has released a video about it. So who knows how true it is. I think that in, the rail gun uh, is too expensive to operate. So they don't use them anymore. And I'm like, uh, uh-huh. 
Yeah. Too expensive. Right. <laughs> Apparently there's a bunch they're... of fucking magnets. <laughs> I think uh, the I think they called them Mac guns in Halo. The Mac guns were essentially just huge rail guns. I think is from what I what I recall. I I could be thinking of something completely different, but in uh, Halo, their Mac cannons yeah. are are ex- giant just rail big cannons. rail guns. When I first got into writing science fiction, I had written a bunch of really bad, like post-apocalyptic stuff because I was a teenager and that's apparently what teenagers write and respond to. (laughs) Go to the young adult section of a bookstore. Everything's post-apocalyptic. It's insane. I still really like all that stuff, but I like just keep giving me Mad Max movies. I don't, I don't, I don't need to read about Katniss. The Book of Eli? Goddamn. Don't you do that movie? movie. Dope. Oh, Yeah. Spoiler. No, I'm There's a big. It's like Fight Club, though. The second time you watch it, you're like, yeah, oh, you're like, oh, I see. I said, yeah, oh, exactly. You right? totally you're see. Like, it I, immediately. I, 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 I knew the whole time. You yeah. didn't know when you looked Spo- over at your person you're watching it with for the first time. You didn't know. <laughs> spoiler <laughs> spoiler alert if you haven't watched Fight Club <laughs> there, <laughs> there is no Tyler Durden it's the same person the entire time if you haven't seen Fight Club then they need a bigger boat in Jaws the monkey does get to the top of the Empire State in Building Jumanji. what else can we fuck up oh no I was uh, trying to fuck up King Kong <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like Jumanji the monkey gets to the top of the mansion that, that, uh, that, yeah yeah so I was right. It's <laughs> Mac Cannon in Halo is called Magnetic Accelerator Cannon. Yeah. Hey, yeah. That, is, that is a real, that's a real rifle, right? Or a real yeah. gun. Oh yeah. 100%. And it, it, again, super simple name, but Mac Cannon sounds badass. All right. Of course, it's a magnetic accelerator Mac, cannon cannon. It's the Mac Daddy cannon. <laughs> I fucking, yeah, right? <laughs> I fucking love that with acronyms. It's like, cannon cannon. The cannon the Mac cannon. cannon. Or stars as special weapons and tactics. Or no. That's SWAT. Stars is uh, special right, tactics and rescue. City. Yeah. 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 Special tactics. Talking about the ra- raccoon city. Raccoon city. Stars. Yep. Yeah. It's called special tactics and rescue because the guys that wrote Resident Evil were like, SWAT sounds cool. Let's make stars. <laughs> done. <laughs> SWAT like, done. I did it when I wrote my zombie stuff. I've got Havocs, which is the name of a military unit, and it's literally well, Stars is cool and SWAT is cool. I cannot tell you heavy assault vehicle occupation something <laughs> i can't tell you what havoc cannons. stands for anymore cannons yeah have have it Cannon, cannons. cannons have it cannons. <laughs> man uh this is why this is going to be multiple episodes <laughs> yeah hey man this is it makes it makes the pill go down a little easier a little bit of sugar on top of that lore that's right that's right <laughs> so i had come up with these satellites this very first story that i wrote and almost none of it exists anymore but i had come up with a satellite system that was called the god satellite system and it was like global ordnance delivery system or something like that and <laughs> it's it, dope. it was essentially these satellites that just held tungsten rods and this was To my credit, this was kind of before this idea was everywhere in sci-fi, which probably means I read it somewhere in some obscure science fiction book or in some weird uh, article. Avengers, I want to say. Didn't they turn like a country in Russia or there was a country in Russia that had a huge tungsten like uh, Yeah, they like ripped it out of the ground or whatever. Yeah, and was going to drop it on Nova Scotia, was it? uh, Sokovia is in Avengers. Yeah. So the, the whole idea of a, the whole idea of a tungsten rod or dropping a rod from God, dropping a rod from space is that the kinetic force of it hitting the ground does the damage of a nuclear weapon, but it doesn't 
like have fall. There's no fallout. Right. You right. can immediately move in and take over. You can immediately occupy the land. It doesn't, it destroys everything, but it doesn't it fuck shit up, but it doesn't give you the, uh, the after right. effects of fucking yeah. shit up. That was the thing that the, that had caused the apocalypse where the, the satellite system had gone up. The satellite system it, like, had gone rogue. God finger or some shit like that. Uh, it, it's it like, had, I'm going to, I used to write physically write, And I used to do sketches and everything. Cause all of this stuff was like developing game worlds, video game right, worlds right. and, and yeah, ideas. role playing worlds. It, it's just kind of like what we were talking about before when you're developing lore, you, you, you're dropping little breadcrumbs for you that yeah, you know, eventually that will you turn can into use a later. sandwich that somebody can eat. That's how it works, right? Yeah. It dealt with weird AI that went crazy. The AI was shaving off or cutting down the rod and then they could target individual people instead. So instead of dropping a giant like, oh, so like telephone slivers. pole, they would, yeah, they would drop like little tiny pieces and just kill one person. And that Dude. was what caused the apocalypse. And I can't That's remember. Gnarly. That's really I cool. I really like that idea. Ryan, you should do a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Some dude, 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 dead. It's fucking tungsten dude, fucking toothpick. That's, yeah. that's the name of the movie, tungsten toothpick. <laughs> it's, it's like that movie Rubber. <laughs> dude, Flubber? No, Flubber? no, no, no. There's a movie. There's a movie called Rubber. Have you not heard what? of this? No. So there's a movie called Rubber and the entire point of the movie Rubber is that this tire. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so a tire kills there's people? a tire that goes around killing people i don't think oh that's a spoiler i'm pretty oh sure God. that's on the cover but it's this <laughs> it's this like possessed tire that murders Dude, people it's that's like it. overdrive but with but with just a, just, just the tire, tire. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> oh it reminds me of uh thanks thanks killing Oh my the god! Fucking, <laughs> you seen fucking turkey! Oh my god, dude! Uh, wait, thank, oh god! Thanks, killing. Um, Spoiler thanks, alert! Thanks, killing is the one that that turns into. It, it doesn't turn into, but there's like a weird, like they're filming a porno or something at one yeah, point, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something like that. It, and then I, uh, black, I remember there being naked people, or a reason for them to show someone naked. Yeah, there, there's and a then relatively. The fucking, yeah. Kills him. Not there's jerks a, him off. He kills him. Yeah. There's a relatively. <laughs> that was the different ambush. Is <laughs> stabbing, not. Yeah. Sta fun. Stabbing, not jerking. It's stabbing, not jerking. It's yeah. different. It's totally I, I try, different. I try, I try not to do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> it leads to some uh, medical. Uh, <laughs> For you guys use, watching our, our I video, a, I use a different <laughs> hand. It's fine. It's, this is my murdering hand. This is my jerking this hand. Is my murder. It's disrespectful, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude. Uh, yeah, and then oh, the black yeah. sheep. There were a bunch of those. Anyway, way out of left field. Yeah, Tungsten toothpick. You I'm know, gonna tie uh, us Hollywood back in. Pay us back for that one. Yeah, right. Hey, Steven. Mr. Mr. Berg. Do we have to call him Mr. Spiel? We don't know him yet. Mr. Hey, Spielberg. Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> Hey, listen we'd, up, Spiels. We'd like <laughs> you're gonna pay us for this movie, whether you like it or not. There's like there's three people. I'd like to get to a level with three people. I would like to get to a point where I can just call Bill Gates money. Money bags. Yeah, I'd like to be able to call Steven Spielberg Steve or Steven. Hey Steven. I, I like Spiels. Spiels. I like Spiels too. Yeah. And then um the third person. I have to I bit off more than I could chew. Elon <laughs> I don't Musk, have a third I just want to call him musky. But yeah, musky, old musky. Musky. What's up, Musky? <laughs> Old Musky. Old Musky. There you go, man. Uh, who are that's, that's the highest level of like fame that you Jeffy. can be at. I'd like to call Jeffy. Bezos Jeffy. Can we get to a point where I can just call him Jeffy? That's the goal. So the goal is to get Henry Cavill on the podcast 
or to get yeah. a president or former president to tweet about us. If we that can get be, there, we're done. <laughs> Bill Gates, I did not have sexual relations with. That was under Bill. The that, was Bill Clinton, that was Bill Clinton, dude. <laughs> was what, whatever. Uh, Bill Gates. Did I said Bill Gates. <laughs> you said Bill Gates. We're talking about rich people. Sorry, <laughs> Bill Clinton. They're <laughs> was, all one bucket, uh, right? <laughs> his name's Bill. Fuck it, dude. <laughs> so speaking of rich people who have the ability to go to space. Let's talk about the Imperium of Man. Let's do it. All right. So the Skaldmar worlds, unknown to the Imperium until they were rediscovered by the 636th Expeditionary Force and M38 and located to the galactic northwest of the Gothic sector. The Skaldmar worlds are a subsector of Imperial space. This region of Imperial space is composed of three easily connected star systems clustered with several other major and minor astronomical bodies, objects, and anomalies. The major systems are known as the Castica, Freya, and Ragnar systems and make up the bulk of the Imperium's settled habitable space. These systems include six naturally habitable worlds, three terraformed worlds, and three forge worlds, which all pay the Imperial tithe. Additionally, there are several space stations used by the Mechanicum in research and development, zero-gravity manufacturing, or as bases to mine the lesser planetoids and uncountable asteroids that litter this region of space. Castica is the capital system, with the world of Castica itself acting as the system's government's seat of power. Outside the subsector, the closest settled imperial world is Dimamar to the galactic west, with the storm of the Emperor's Wrath to the galactic south, and the dead world of Neogeddon to the galactic northeast. Although settled by Imperial forces during the Great Crusade in M30, a large warp phenomenon called the Jornminder Rift surrounds and acts to define the subsector, at times cutting it off from easy warp travel for decades. Looking and acting like a massive cyclone, the Jornminder Rift swirls about the Skaldmar worlds, which enjoy the relative calm in the eye of the storm, forever chasing its tail, much like the Leviathan it is named for, where the head and tail of the rift meet as a small, astronomically speaking, passage through warp space. However, the nature of the rotating rift and instability of the warp makes even this passage incredibly perilous. Direct reminds me of, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I was going to say, it reminds me of, what the hell was it in Star Wars with uh, Han Solo? The, um, uh, the, what is it, in like 15 or Parsecs or whatever the fuck it was called? The Kessel Run. Ruined. The Kessel Run. Yeah, <laughs> it just reminds me of like that little area being that world. <laughs> Jornmonder is a world serpent that surrounds. I've heard it. I've heard it say said as Jormungandr, but I think Jormungandr is fine. It yeah, Jor differently. Yeah, Jormungandr would work too. Just like the Mjolnir. Yeah, Mew Mew. Yeah, old Mew Mew. Jormungandr. I like that actually a little bit better. Yeah, Jormungandr. So Jormungandr Rift is named the Jormungandr Rift because it. It's essentially, it looks like a giant serpent and it's just, it's a warp storm that circles this area. And there's one little chunk between its, its head and its tail that you can travel through space without the warp storm hitting your ships, but that it's always moving. It's always spinning. Hmm. So it's just really, really difficult to travel through warp space or normal space because of that's it. There's just this tiny little passage through it's the warp storm. Butthole. You just got to yep. hit the butthole just right. And I, you're fucked. And I'm doing the thing that most <laughs> that most Warhammer 40k, most space stuff does, where everything is a flat plane, like looking down at a, oh, at a right, map. Yeah. 
not uh, like, yeah, just picture the idea. It's a warp storm. So it's acting erratically. So th- there's not a, you know, this thing is moving all around. It's not following the rule of maps. Yeah. What we're trying to say. It, it could be doing figure eights for whatever reason. There's only a little area and it looks in general like a giant serpent, which is why they named it what they named it. That's cool. I like that. Direct warp travel into the Skaldmore worlds is possible. However, it is extremely unpredictable and has led to several disasters and disappearances. So it is often simply avoided. The Yornmonder Rift has proved difficult to predict and has fluctuated in speed, power, and size several times over the last 10,000 years, creating conditions where the subsector has been completely cut off from all but the most daring of the Imperium. These periods of extreme isolation have contributed to the Skalmard world's slightly askew development in the eyes of the more noble imperial citizenry anyway. Often these worlds can seem a curious example of what can still exist in these galactic backwater wildernesses. To a rogue trader or an expeditionary force, coming across the subsector can be like stumbling into an oasis of the Imperium, even if it is a little exotic to the temperaments of the more zealously faithful. With the expansion of the Eye of Terror into the Cicatrix Melodictum, the Jormander Rift has once again calmed, allowing the passage to become stable and much wider, with the storm's swirling motion slowing considerably, allowing communications and trade to be reestablished with this lost branch of humanity. Although, during their long isolation, their culture and adherence to the Imperial Creed has shifted a few degrees, they have not strayed as far as some of humanity's lost branches have in the past. This has made their reintegration into the Imperium smoother and easier, although they are often seen as backwater savages by polite Imperial society. So I really like the the whole idea of them being kind of almost like Tau, where Tau were kind of like separated because of that warp storm. And, you know, do you feel like time affected like the system at all or? I haven't really played with that a lot yet. I think possibly so. I define it as three systems with just a bunch of other stuff. But as I've been fleshing it out and developing it, it's a bigger region of space. There's just only mm-hmm. three systems in it. Oh, okay. So that, that you have like developed. Right. So there could be other minor stars or other man- minor planetoids. There's just not mm. stuff there. And I've started to play with what this storm does to planets that may drift in and out of it and you know, where like those that. planets are going and where they're coming back from, yeah. which which will let me to play with some of the Black Legion stuff Does that I'll 40K do eventually. fuck with uh, black holes at all? I don't, I don't feel like I hear anything about black holes like ever. So antimatter, black holes, dark matter, all of that has generally been replaced or has taken place the of the warp. Yeah. Uh, so okay. we look at from a, an astronomical perspective in the real world, we look at the giant, the singularity at the center of our galaxy, the the big thing that we all orbit around being a right, black right. hole in the Warhammer 40K universe. They call that the maelstrom and that's the, the maelstrom. Oh, that's that's one okay. of the big warp rifts. So gotcha. I yeah, I think that's how they use it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I dig it. So I, I wrote an introduction and then I and originally immediately jumped into a bunch of military history about what had happened. And then I had settled on this being kind of an introduction and then wanting to break out the planets individually because I love this type of world building. The next chunk here, if you were to look at it, this is a book you're you're looking at, you know, if you're running a role playing game or you're running a campaign setting. Now I'm going to talk about all the planets that exist and how they can be used. Notable locations. 
the Castica system. The Castica system is a standard Terran style system with seven planets orbiting a G-type star. The two inner planets, Ka and Set, are inhospitable to human life, but both are potential sites for future Mechanicum operations. The third and fourth planets, Castica and Eridon, sit firmly in the habitable region, both having slightly wider orbits and falling into the colder regions of the Goldilocks zone. The gas giant Eden's Eye is the fifth planet with the twin planets of CX-35-02, a mineral or rich forge world, and CX-25-03, a solid ice ball farthest out. Castica is a civilized world. It's also the capital planet of the Skalmard world, and it has a population of roughly 4 billion imperial citizens. Castica is roughly 5% larger than Terra, featuring three major oceans and 20 smaller seas. These separate four major continents with thousands of islands ranging in size from roughly 2,500 kilometers to only a few kilometers across. These islands have formed into long-chained archipelagos or into atoll-like clusters around long, dormant supervolcanoes. The planet's climate is slightly colder than average, with temperatures around the equator rarely getting above 26 degrees Celsius, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Average temperatures in the temperate zones ranging between 7 to 19 Celsius, 42 to 62 Fahrenheit, with temperatures dropping to zero and below Celsius, 32 Fahrenheit, as you move toward the poles much quicker than most other worlds the Imperium inhabits. Temperatures at the poles never climb above negative 34 Celsius, which is negative 30 Fahrenheit, even in the summer months, and they can drop to negative 50 to negative 75, which is 58 to 103, negative 103 Fahrenheit during the winters. The areas closest to the equator is dominated by scrublands with a scattering of small deserts, which blend into subtropical forests, mostly dominated by evergreen style trees. The temperate regions are mostly grasslands and plains, which blend into extremely dense and massive redwood and evergreen forests, which dominate the majority of the land masses, only giving away into permafrost tundras and finally mostly icebound poles. Humans have settled the majority of the planet with so much coastline, over 98% of the population lives within a day's march of the sea or ocean. Castica boasts a contemporary level of technology and society, with several pleasure resorts given year-round to winter sports and recreational activities enjoyed by the Imperium's elite. The planet's capital is the megacity Rithmir, which also serves as the Skaldmar world's subsector capital. Although he is mostly only heard of in rumor and never seen, the Astartes Bjorn Hester Meyer, the Skaven Eater, acts as the planetary and system governor and sits at the head of the Forged Council. There are no hive cities on the planet, with only the city of Gethmin and Hessenport coming close to Rithmir's size. Xenos ruins have been found deep in the Redwoods in several places. Xenobiologists theorize that a long-extinct branch of the Krupp population once inhabited the planet. Skaven warrens and ruins used to be clustered densely around the poles, but these have been long abandoned and most are collapsed. Castica is known for its extremely oversized dire fauna, most notably the Castica bear, the Castica wolf, and the Castic boars, although several other examples do exist. Big game hunting is common pastime for the noble houses and visiting Imperials, and trophies of castic species are common among the subsector's elite. There is no Skaven population left on Castica, having been eradicated during the earliest years of Lothgrimmar's Crusade of Compliance. 
The Krut clan, known as the Prescient, have long become a legend, and it is assumed by Imperial Xenobiologists that they have been long extinct, at least on this planet. The few Krut encountered are feral and often keep to themselves deep in the forests, posing no real threat to the Imperium. Unknown to the Imperium, the Krut do still have a population on the planet, the shapers of the Prescient still pulling from the planet's original flora and fauna. Rithmir, the floating city. The city started as a simple Jarl's fortress at the base of Rithmiran Mountains, but over 2,000 years since the Warcryer Space Marines landed, it has grown into a sprawling megacity, built as much on the sea as the land. The fortress monastery of the Warcryers is built into the mountains of Upper Rithmir, with the Avenue of the Fallen traveling 12 kilometers from the base to the sea. The Temple of the Allfather sits along the Avenue of the Fallen and acts as the Ecclesiarchy's center of power in the subsector. Old Rithmir is just to the south of the avenue and is built around the original site of the Jarl's fortress. Most notable houses of the subsector have palaces in this district. So to tie in one of my armies, my crew are the prescient man hunters or the prescient Tau hunters, depending on who they've most recently come into on. <laughs> yes, conflict with. This Krut clan, the Prescients, do not honor the rules of Peck. They do not honor the treaty of the general Krut with the Tau, and they do eat Tau. They don't care. They also oh. hunt and eat humans. So they do whatever the fuck they want. Yep. The Prescient often fight for or with Imperial forces, as in alongside, but they have also been known to fight against the Imperium or to turn against the Imperium at the last moment. Especially this, since the Krut are very aware of the fact that the Imperium has a tendency to turn on their Xeno allies oh, as soon yeah, as they, <laughs> yeah. So the Prescient uh, are the I, type of people to light you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is this the homeworld of the Warcriers? Uh, so this would be the fortress monastery of the Warcriers. So um, yes, it is not. Yeah. So there are only, I think we talked about this before and, and I get into it when I get deeper into the history of what happened with the war, Lothcromir's war of compliance, but mm -hmm. the Warcriers, there are only 13 left or oh, four, okay. there so are they're only almost 14 like a, left. They're almost the last chapter essentially yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. Okay. And that's why their tech priest, Bjorn Meister, the Skaven Eater, is a system governor. He is a space mm. marine who is almost never in power armor. I kind of modeled him after Obi-Wan. He probably slowly lost his armor till he was just a dude in a giant cloak who wanders around. <laughs> Not a lot of people know that space marines are real in the Skaldmar worlds. Just as is normal for almost anybody in the Imperium, in my opinion, Space Marines should not be something that the everyday citizen knows about and has experienced. If you experience oh, a Space Marine, something has gone drastically wrong. Right, yeah. If you're seeing a Space Marine, that's like, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. Like, you don't see a SWAT team every day. But, you yeah, know, you don't once you to. see a SWAT team, yeah, you don't want to. Yeah. But the second you see a SWAT team, you're like, shit's going down. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and even if you do come across one, they're just, they should just be like, oh, that's an interesting person. And that's kind of how I modeled him. You know, he has a tendency, he, he's obviously around because he rules the city. He rules the entire subsector, but one, he rules the subsector. So not everybody's going to have access to him. And two, mm -hmm. 
he's not in power armor. So he's just a really big just a guy. Big dude. <laughs> he's just, he's essentially the rock. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. A, a much big taller social media and, presence. And everybody's like, I don't understand. Like, like, dude, this dude's fucking old. Why does he look so fit? What are those things on his head? Why, like, why the, someone took a- <laughs> why the fuck does he have the nickname, the Skaven eater? Does he, does he literally eat Skaven? He eats rats, bro. <laughs> we do we do it every day. <laughs> that's right. Down that's here just, in the half. That's just a Tuesday, bro. <laughs> what, what is it? That's that fucking line from Demolition Man. Oh, what what's in this burger? Oh, it's, it's rat, rat. rat burger. This is the best damn rat burger I've ever had. <laughs> so, uh, the, so I noticed that you yeah. did not go with single biome planets. I noticed that you actually have like, you know, it's an icy planet with forests and yeah. uh, actually has different climates depending on, you know, which side of the equator you're on. Yeah. I, I went with the idea that it is that the closer to the equator you get, the warmer it's going to get. But, you know, here in, on Earth, the equator is very, very tropical. You know, you can have 115 degree days with 115% humidity and it's raining all day and it's just crazy. And like rain is literally turning to steam as it's hitting the ground and just the stuff that makes the Amazon and all of the tropical things that we think of exist. What I wanted to do with Castica is I wanted to play. (laughs) But you know, like when you're, I don't know if you've ever been to like, any of the tropical, they're actually really nice. They're usually like right on the sea or whatever. Dude. I've, I've seen, I take that back. I, I've been I to places close to the know what poison arrowhead frogs are, man. Don't, don't try and trick me. That's a death world <laughs> forest. Do not lick it. It's hot as balls. <laughs> so I wanted to do kind of the other side of that. So I played around with the idea that the, the temperature on this planet in general is going to give rise to like the mirror woods, the giant redwoods and the cascade redwoods and stuff like that. That's the rainforest. I even specifically said rainforest and then said filled with evergreen trees, which is not something we think about a lot, but it does happen. It happens even here. There are places, there are forests on earth that are considered rainforests that are predominantly made up of redwoods because it just a rainforest just means it rains a lot. It doesn't mean that it's the Amazon. It just right. means that it rains a lot. <laughs> hmm. I wanted to um, play around with that idea. I also, I, I wanted to play around with everybody on the planet. And I, I get into this, the more I talk about different planets. And then when I talk about the guard and why the guard exists, everybody in this system in some way, shape or form has experienced bitter biting cold. And it's made the warrior culture that surrounds their people that much stronger. And it really is. Mm. You had pointed it out at the beginning of the episode when we kind of were talking about the show Vikings. It's that romanticized idea of these big, burly, hairy outdoorsmen people or outdoorsy people that just, they live in the cold. Their universe, their world is a world where it might snow in the middle of summer. And that's just something you deal with. And it only gets colder. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't go north. It's worse. <laughs> so the prescient crew are the guys I'm working on right now. So nice. the Castican boars are those morphing boars that I have my writers on. That's the whole idea. Is that like that the crew specifically ate ate them and exposed you know shapers specifically exposed the crew gene seed or the the yeah I guess the crew gene seed is the way to say it to this animal to make this animal something that the crew 
would use, essentially. They, they put their progenoid in their... Yeah, their... Their, their an, an, anal cavity. <laughs> <laughs> they give back... Uh, they give, they give really good back the, rubs. I was trying to think of what the thing is called in your ass. What is that called? Your, your prostate? Pro, yeah, they put their <laughs> progenoid in their prostate. <laughs> <laughs> the second planet in the Castica system is Eridon. Eridon is an agri-world. It is the major agricultural producer of the subsector. Its population is 500 million. Its penal population is 25 million. Eridon has a very temperate and stable climate and is about 75% the size of Terra. Most of the world is a single large landmass covered in a scattering of titan-sized freshwater rivers and millions of tiny lakes and ponds. The planet's aristocracy rules its population through feudalism, providing extra tithing to the guard regiments of the sons of Lothgrimar. Most of the landmass is given over to industrialized and penal farming. Small cities and towns are almost evenly spaced on a grid across these massive chunks of farmland. Large guard training facilities exist at each of these population facilities. The same strains of fauna that exist on Castica also range across large chunks of Eridon. However, they are much closer to the standard size. So there's lots of boars, there's lots of bears, there's lots of wolves and stuff like that on Eridon, but they're not dire size. They're not giant. They're just normal size. The Skaven population was mostly eradicated, but due to the large and tectonically inactive land mass, their warrens went too deep into the planet and are almost impossible to actually clear out. This has proven to be a boon to the Imperium as the near constant Skaven raids on the farms and population centers act to keep the population in check as well as train the guardsmen of Eridon in the brutal trials by combat. I like the whole idea of uh, <laughs> you if you can't kill a rat, you can't yep. be a guardsman. <laughs> so are, are these are your Skaven but are this, there actual like Skaven type creatures in 40k, like so, uh, canon wise? Skaven like creatures have been introduced into canon and taken out of canon several times. Uh, I like Skaven and decided that they needed to be in 40k. So when I say Skaven, these are literally, you know, if you straight up Skaven, if you go search for Skaven right now, you're going to find this. And there, there's two different types of Skaven. There's the cartel Skaven, which we'll talk about later and then there are feral skaven feral skaven are age of sigmar skaven just like feral orcs are age of sigmar orcs mm. same thing there is a skaven population that exists again this proves to a boon to the imperium for the the two different reasons one it's an agri world and you actually want the population of an agri world to be relatively small because an agri world needs to produce food for everybody else not eat so it. if an agri world is eating most of the food you have problem and the second reason is it forces these planetary defense guardsmen into these brutal trials by combat. So you may be, you might not even be through boot yet and the Skaven fucking raid and somebody's like, all right, we taught you how to shoot a rifle day one. This is why. Go, go shoot. And this weeds out. That weak. rat ate my mother. <laughs> <laughs> this weeds out the weaker guard recruits and acts to provide even new regiments with veterans who have encountered and survived against Xenos day one. 
Can you imagine, like, when you actually get into the fleet of the guard? They're like, oh, right. what planet are you from? The oh, yeah. one that has the giant rats. I'm, I'm <laughs> from this like, I'm from ugh. this tiny backwater farming planet. And they're like, oh, that's crazy. Have you ever seen an orc? And they're like, no, but I've seen a giant rat. And the other guy's <laughs> like, uh, what? <laughs> I've seen I've seen pictures of or it's a fucking day one they're on the battlefield fighting fucking gene dude, or not gene be... stealers fighting gaunts and this this yeah. dude from Aridon just like fucking shoots you a should, shoves you his... should totally do a fucking short story on a guardsman that from that planet like interacting <laughs> just, with like a veteran <laughs> and the veteran's just, just like you're scary what the fuck yeah exactly right yeah that's exactly he's just like this guy does not fuck around like <laughs> right. those rats must be like <laughs> uh, so the next planet in the system is cx-35-02 this is a forge world, and it is the Mechanicum's subsector capital. Its population is 8 billion, with an additional 550 million in penal situations. So again, there's a penal population on the planet. CX-35-02 is a planet roughly the size of Mercury from Terran's home system and takes up an orbit at roughly the same distance as Saturn. An extremely thin atmosphere and a weak magnetosphere made the planet a perfect place for space tethers and a pair of geosynchronous orbital space stations, which the Mechanicum have since expanded into high-orbit rings of shipyards and low-gravity manufactorums. The world's surface itself is dotted with massive manufactorum cities, many which extend several hundred levels into the planet's crust. Giant mining operations have created massive artificial cannons where the dense ores, canyons, giant mining operations have created like, massive artificial, artificial canyons. <laughs> That's, that is the, the gnarliest piece of lore. <laughs> hey, what are those? Oh, those are, That's, that's, those our, are canyon. God's that's our cannon. That's our cannon. God's cannon. <laughs> These canyons are where the dense ores and minerals of the planet are stripped out of the rock for the Imperium's war machine. The planet's crust and mantle are riddled with ancient lava channels and other natural caverns. All long grown cold and empty, these served as perfect warrens for skaven hordes that used to infest the planet. When the planet was reclaimed by Lothgrimmar's forces, it was assumed that the skaven had been completely eradicated. However, the Ratman had simply the rat men. However, the rat man. The rat man. I know that However, the rat men had simply moved even deeper toward the planet's still warm core. Within a hundred years of the Mechanicum resettling the Forge world, the Skaven had started to raid and steal again, pestering the Mechanicus. The sheer volume of these underground spaces is not even close to being fully discovered or cataloged by the Mechanicum, providing the Skaven with the perfect environment to constantly move and hide themselves. Although they frequently raid outlying Mechanicum settlements or target easy and lone targets, the Skaven seem just as prone to fighting one another and their own clan wars as they do with posing a continuous major threat. The Forge world is too important to the system to even be considered for Exterminatus. As of M41, the Mechanicum and Imperium believe they are holding the Skaven at bay. Dun, dun, dun. I, I always love I always love throwing that in like as a they, they, blah they blah blah they, are. they think they're winning. 
That's how we feel here in the hive. We think. <laughs> we, no, we know. <laughs> those, I don't know what you're talking about. The glass eaters do not pose a major threat. I didn't. I was talking about that. I was talking about the rats. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Neither do they. Neither do they. You know, it's really nice that the glass eaters and the four-armed emperors are always fighting each other, not us. Yeah, right. And just keeps that glass eater population down. If you noticed, it's a little warm in the recording studio today, as if the outside's on fire. <laughs> so it's fine. the. The <laughs> fireproofing gives us at least another two hours. <laughs> so there are other planets in the system. We just haven't covered them in detail because there's not a lot to them. The last, the astronomical body is the Ostern cloud. This is an astronomical collective. Its population is estimated to be about 200,000. The Ostern well, cloud. What was it called again? Oh, an sorry. astronomical collective. The, uh, the name of the, of the, Thing or what yeah. it is. The, it's the, the name of it. It's the Ustern cloud. Ustern. Okay. Yeah. You kind of sound like you uh, bro broke up a little bit. Oh, sorry. Could have been just me. The Ustern cloud, which is an astronomical collective, and it is estimated to hold a population of about 200,000. The Ustern cloud is a vast collection of outer system planetoids, asteroids, and space debris that are heavily mined by the Mechanicum. The minerals acquired by these mining operations are then transported to the forges and manufactorums of CX-35-02. The Vermin Spire. Type. Space Station. Population. Unknown. Hidden deep in the Ustern Cloud is the space station of lashed together rocks and space junk that serves as the major Skaven pirate port and den of other heretical abhumans. It is firmly in control of the Karvek cartel, currently led by the Skaven warlord Karvek the Bone Spitter. So is this where the rat mech come from? Yes. So the rat ah. mech originally infested CX-35-02. And the whole reason I named the planet, the Mechanicus planets, the way that I named them was they just have designations. Nobody bothered to name them. The Mechanican isn't going to. They're like, ah, we'll use this planet for something. Sir, what shall we call it? What's its, what's its astronomical designation? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Good enough for me. <laughs> don't care at all. Yeah. So the carve, there's four cartels or syndicates that the, Skaven are split into, and the Karvek cartel is the one that fucks around with rat demons. So they basically build demon oh, engines that are, cool. yeah. And that that's what my rat mech are. Uh, I will I really probably like have broke it down into cartels. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I really like that. The feral Skaven are still split into the standard clans of the Age of Sigmar, the Mulder, Pestle. I can't remember the others. There's like a, there's one that's poison. There's one that's assassins. There's one that's like heavy fucking frontline fighters. And there's one that's magic basically. Hmm. But the Carvec cartel is, they're the strongest cartel and they kind of force everybody to follow their rules. And I also wanted to work in the idea that like there could be beast men there. There could be, you know, the vermin spire is a massive structure that just exists. And the Imperium knows it's there, but in our solar system, we have something called the Oort cloud, which exists outside of everything. And it's just this, it's this massive region of it, the border of interstellar space. That's just full of junk, old comets, old planets, stuff that never developed gases. It's just such a big area and it's a cloud, you know, it's a big sphere that surrounds the entire solar system. So like, when are you ever going to fucking map that? And that the idea, this thing is just floating out there. They know it exists. They've probably seen it before, but they can't 
find it again or whatever. I need to get into details as to why the vermin spire is impossible to find. I just like the idea. It's like an orc space hulk, but it is a purposely built vermin termine mound. <laughs> it's a hive city. I like it. I like the idea of the the vermin spire. It's like uh, almost like reminds me of the the thing from is it Avengers or the thing with Star Lord and his group? How there's like the old dead Titan that's kind yeah. of like hard to find, but it's just kind of yeah, they're mining. Dead and, they're mining yeah, yeah, the exactly. dude's they're like head. It. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was such a cool like it's a visual cool, thing. It's such a cool concept for a planet, right? Like people live here or not a planet. Like an astronomical, like it's a, an astronomical a, anomaly. It's just a thing that exists. Right. And they fucking live in it, That's mine so, it. So crazy. Yeah. So the next. Yeah, the vermin spire. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. So the next system is the Freyan system. The Freyan system orbits a large blue A type star and is made up of seven super planets. The innermost planet, Hellreach, is a titan of condensed heavy metals and rare minerals. It is so close to the system's star that crushing pressures have claimed any exploratory craft that have ventured too close. The second and third planets, Ursa and Norden, are gas giants of sulfuric acid and carbon dioxide. The fourth planet, Hell, is a dead world showing signs of Eldar exodite, ruins, and debris. Habitable planetoids in the system orbit the fifth planet. The fifth planet, Hildesvini, another gas giant, which has a stable orbit inside the system's habitable zone. Hildesvini is orbited by Freya, Illidan, Ursa, all of which are large enough to make most moons look small, and another eight lesser planetoids and moons. The sixth planet, DX38-09, another super-dense world of rare minerals and metals, is home to Skaldmire World's largest mines and active forge world. The outermost world is Nahorn, the largest of the Sinistim's planets. It is a swirling mess of titanic sub-zero methane ice storms. Almost three times farther out from the system's star as DX-38-09, at the edge of the system's heliosphere is the Garnish Tangle. You'll like the Garnish Tangle, too. So say, the, the last one sounded like Uranus. What? The last one. You said it was all filled with methane gas giant. Yeah. Uh, Nijoro. So all of the names of the planets in this system are taken directly from Norse mythology. Uh, mm -hmm. Hildesvini is a goddess who I believe like birthed. Hold on. I'm fucking this up. It's a boar. <laughs> <laughs> it's a goddess. <laughs> is it? Yeah, like it's, it's a boar. A bunch of the names in this system connect to Norse mythology and have to do with like the creation myth stuff. Um, it's like, oh yeah, it's called, you know, flippin' flaffin'. And you're like, oh, that sounds so nice. What is that? You're like, ah, it's a goat. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what I do is I come up with a concept of how I want to kind of build stuff. Once I had decided on old Norse Viking stuff, I started to search for things that sounded interesting, basically. Yeah, exactly what you said. It does sound cool. So the the other concept that I introduce here, I, I introduce two things. One, this is not a standard Earth solar system. And when we talk about an Earth-based solar system, we talk about a bunch of essentially rocky worlds with a couple of gas giants, and we kind of know where they all are. This system is specifically all super planets. So super planets are stuff the size of Jupiter or bigger. Actually, I think a super planet is classified as something 
Saturn are larger. Saturn and Jupiter being the super planets that we know of in our solar system. The third thing that I did that's very different here is I wanted a lot of habitable worlds or a lot of habitable space without doing the like, there are 19 planets in this system. So I specifically said there are a bunch of moons and those moons are in the habitable zone and those Hmm. moons orbit Hildsvini, which gives out and there's a reason why. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention is the system's heliosphere. So a heliosphere is essentially, it's a lot deeper than this, but the layman's term or the quick way, the too long didn't read, is that the heliosphere is the outermost area that the star's gravity affects. So outside of the heliosphere is interstellar space. Inside of the heliosphere is solar system space following (laughs) yeah yeah so freya is the first we will talk about it is a civilized world it is the capital of the freyan system its population is 900 million freya is roughly the size of mars and like the other planets in the freyan system gets about half of its life-giving light as a reflection from hildesfini's atmosphere it's getting some of the light from the sun which is a blue type star, but it's reflecting off of Hildesfini's atmosphere, which makes it a orange glow because of the way that the atmosphere of the planet is designed. The world is covered in two giant deserts, much like the oceans of other worlds. Its oceans and sea exists as two relatively thin, broken rings of interconnected freshwater bodies that cluster around the massive glacial poles. Most of Freya's human population live along the coasts of these connected waterways and in the snow-capped mountains that are scattered across the rest of the world. Freya's deserts are host to enormous desert-dwelling fauna, from the leviathan-sized acid-spinning sandworms to the gigantic bipedal lizards known as the Freyan dune stalker. Freya's deserts are known for a wide range of flora as well, most of which are edible and considered some of the subsectors most sought-after delicacies. Massive rainstorms build up in the polar and mountainous regions and descend on the desert about four times a year, heralding massive blooms in this local flora. The high desert areas surrounding Freya's mountains are also host to a wide range of buffalo and goat-like animals, making the planet one of the primary sources of free-range meat in the subsector. Sandstorms like hurricanes often rage unchecked across the equatorial regions, making life extremely bitter and hard for those who do brave desert life on Freya or work year-round to harvest the more profitable desert flowers. Freya's capital is the city of Shieldrock, a spaceport high in the mountains on the southern polar region. Shieldrock is the original site of the Sisters of Battle Monastery and now houses the Valkyrie Academy on the same grounds. The Temple of Eden, the God Emperor, has replaced the actual monastery itself and holds the relics of Freyan Castillo, the Eternal Valkyrie, as well as the other recovered Adapta Sororitas relics of the system. Freya was once heavily populated by Skaven, who hunted the sandworms and titan lizards of the planet, enslaving and using both to mine warrens burrowed hundreds of feet below the ever-shifting sands. Although most had been purged, several Skaven Warrens dedicated to the various cartels have slowly repopulated in these subterranean cities. 
most notably is the Herrick Collective, a crime syndicate controlled by Ferric Poison Tooth and known for producing the best Skaven assassins. The collective often harasses the desert people of Freya, but keeps a lowish profile. They have at least a single hidden spaceport just under the unchartable desert sands they wish to keep free from Imperial scrutiny. So this is the second cartel that I have introduced. Oh, okay. The whole idea of this planet was to play a little bit more with that single biome, but to play with it in a way that I liked. So I've got high plains desert. I've got dune desert, sand dune desert. And then I've Mm -hmm. got snow capped mountains. And that's the thing. That's a Southern California thing. You can be fucking in the Mojave and you can be looking at a snow capped mountain, which blows people's minds. And I really like that idea. The other thing that I stole from the Mojave is we always have those, or we always, no, I don't because now I live in Iowa. But when I lived in California, we always had those cool rainstorms that would come down and like everybody would flood out to the desert to look at all the flowers. Oh yeah. And I really liked that idea. So I worked that into the planet and in this case, all of the flowers are edible and they're really, really good. They're like, um, they're like candy, essentially. This planet produces all of the like Fucking pleasure Willy foods. Wonka over here. Hell Everything yeah, is man. edible. Everything is edible. That has. <laughs> <laughs> is edible. <laughs> <laughs> so Illiday is a frontier world with a population of about 350 million. Illiday is a sparsely populated and beautifully picturesque world bordering on the paradises of many of the Imperium's pleasure worlds. The planet is roughly the size of Terra and mimics how humanity's homeworld would have appeared during the Middle Ages. The planet is currently undergoing a full exploration and development needed to become either a civilized or agri-world. The planet is just as dangerous wild and untamed as it is beautiful. It's deep jungles, harsh deserts, and even the rolling plains serving as territory to large predators, both mammalian and reptilian. Another factor keeping the world on the back burner is the population of feral orcs and feral skaven. Both races seem content to war with one another rather than to focus on any of the humans that live on the planet, at least for the time being. Or so they think. So they think. (laughs) Ursa is a death world. Population, 250 million. Ursa is a planet locked into an endless tundric cycle, originally planned to be another angry world, the titanic mechanicum machines that would have terraformed the world failed and melted down, casting the entire planet into a harsh nuclear winter. It has been close to a thousand years, and the endless winter of Ursa has never shown any signs of coming close to an end. Not much larger than Mars, the planet's oceans are locked under at least 100 feet of ice, except for a thin band around the equator where most of humanity on the planet resides. Many humans do choose to live further north and south of the open ocean, as the abundance of massive redwood-style trees in the mid-tundra ranges are excellent for harvesting for many of the Imperium's needs. However, orcs have infested the old ruined terraforming stations that cluster around each pole, and often raid the human logging operations. The Ursin ice worms are the other great danger of the planet and hunt the thicker ice of the more northern and southern reaches of the planet, burrowing long, twisting caverns as they hunt down orcs, skavens, and humans. 
These massive worms, some growing up to 80 meters in length, are often solitary, but they do also operate in small packs of five or less, hunting their prey from below the ice. It is theorized that they are unable to burrow through rock or thicker material as they are often encountered in ice only and never emerge out onto rocks or into the tundra lands. They also avoid the primeval redwood forests and equatorial ice near the world's exposed oceans. Although they are not blind, they do rely on rhythmic vibrations to track and ambush their prey. This is uh, this is what you guys actually helped me brainstorm, by the way. Ice storms. Oh, sound like orcas. Yeah. Ice storms melt ice with bone protrusions that create heat through a chemical reaction around their heads. Humans hunt smaller worms to harvest these chemicals to maximize the life and potency of Prometheum. In some cases, smaller worms can be driven by handlers to carve out large spaces in the ice for future development, but the worms are extremely intolerant of salt water and often escape into the deeper ice. So in the cases... If you you drink those chemicals straight, they give you... Strong, strong erection for hours. I can see for days. (laughs) I can see colors. Wait, that, that everybody can can see colors. colors. I can (laughs) see smells. I don't know. (laughs) So the idea is that they generally hunt and kill them for the chemicals to maximize the potency of Prometheum. But in other cases, they'll get the smaller ones to specifically expand the equatorial regions, the area that people live. But the worms are, are, I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm going to develop them so that they have like a slug reaction to ice where ice kind of like burns and melts or um, salt burns and melts them, not ice salt. So the fact that they're driven by people to the area where people live and worms never come the area that's closest to like actual salt ocean water the the mm-hmm. worms might hang out but they'll eventually escape cuz they're like fuck you this is painful <laughs> i don't want to be here all right. All so right. DX-38-09 is a forge world or industrial world. Its population is 1 billion with an additional 500 million prisoners. This is an atmosphere-less planetoid completely devoted to strip mining and industry. Although it was once much bigger, the planet is now closer to Pluto in size, most of it having been strip mined and fed into orbital rings, which are aligned with what was the equator and the meridian line. These have steadily grown as the planet has shrunk and served the Mechanicum as manufactorums and space docks. So this is the idea that like the entire fucking planet used to be huge. Like Every planet in this system was a super planet. This planet is now the size of Pluto. That's how it's mined it's just been. like its core, yeah, core they, of the planet. They're just mining down. The Garnish Tangle is an astronomical anomaly. Its population is estimated to be about 500,000. When I give the populations, by the way, these are the imperial populations. So the last area we talked about, the Ostern Cloud had an estimated population of 200,000. Those are people working for the Mechanicus harvesting stuff. The Garnish Tegel has a population of 500,000, and you'll find out who they are in a minute. Drifting near the edge of the system sits the massive Space Hulk Garnish amid an ever-growing tangle of space junk, including the broken derelict of the Fist of Rage, a scuttled Imperial battleship. The Space Hulk itself is a large enough tangle of derelict ships to support billions of orcs. Since coming to a rest at the extreme outer pole of Freya's star, the tangle has slowly grown to capture enough 
loosely orbiting junk to rival the size of several hive worlds. Currently, this area of space is quarantined by the Mechanicum in the Inquisition. If you wanted to put Death Watch here, this is where they would be. (laughs) This can't get bigger. (laughs) The Space Hulk Garnish is a orc. Uh, It's where all it's where my orcs come from. It's where Grit Tooth One Tusca came from. My orcs are void orcs. So the Ragnar system consists of eight planets orbiting a binary star pair made up of a blue dwarf and a yellow G-type star. The closest world, Rage, weaves a complicated and seemingly erratic path around each star being traded in a rough figure eight every eighth day of its 16-day orbit. The rest of the system's worlds orbit the combined gravity of the binary pair, the closest being Ragnar, Ragnar 2, Ragnar 3, and Ragnar 4, which all fall into the binary pair's much wider Goldilocks zone. Ragnar is home to the night house Krastus. Ragnar 2 lacks an atmosphere and has an almost non-existent magnetosphere. Ragnar 3 is an ice world currently undergoing terraforming. Ragnar 4 is a lifeless husk, having been purged by the war criers in M38. Galvarin is a gas giant that has captured 12 moons, the closest of which is EX-05-62, the Mechanicum's seat of power in the system. Zora is a methane and sulfuric world much like Saturn and Terra's home system. Finally, Karth is a lifeless ball of diamond and ice that sits at the system's extreme edge. There is other stuff at the edge. This is the, the system that I'm currently like tweaking and finalizing. So Rage is a death world and a penal mining colony. It has a population of 500,000 Mechanicum and Imperium citizens and a penal population of 2 million. Rage is a hellish death world, the closest planet to the system's binary pair. Rage suffers from earthquakes, solar storms, and mercury sulfur rain cyclones. Every eight standard Terran days, the world is wrenched from one star's gravity to the other. This event causes most of the tectonic instability that plagues those either serving penal sentences or running the penal colonies of Fabricator General Rictus. The day-night cycle of the planet is approximately seven standard Terran hours, roughly three and a half hours long each. The surface temperatures vary wildly from a negative 120 Celsius, which is negative 184 Fahrenheit, at the night to 232 Celsius or 450 Fahrenheit during the day. The planet, however, is extremely mineral rich with liquid mercury collecting into great lakes, sulfuric seas growing complex crystalline minerals and molten metals carving great rivers across its pitted and chaotic surface. The world's population lives deep underground, with the only access to their caves and habitats buried deep in the chasms and canyons that split Rage's surface. Most of its population is exclusively penal slaves, serving a variety of sentences, from tax evasion and dereliction of duty to murder and piracy. The worst and most dangerous offenders live brutal and incredibly short lives, being converted into servitors that are used to transport minerals back and forth at the spaceports of the planet. The rest of the population is Skatari and Mechanicum forces, which make up the correctional officers and logistical staff that serve under Warden Fabricator Rictus. Those who survive at least five years of their sentence are given the opportunity to join the Rage Penal Guard. These men and women are often given little more than a combat knife before being sent against the Mechanicum's enemies. If they live long enough, they 
are given the opportunity to join the ranks of Skitari and other Mechanicum forces under the Fabricator. That's dope. I like uh, I like Fabricator Rictus. <laughs> so Rage was actually the planet that we developed for 8D6's campaign that you guys were going to run. Oh, okay. That's why I made those giant walls. So those walls yeah, yeah. are Rictus's walls. So outside those walls, the planet is fucking, it's, um, what's that planet? It's cold we just, as fuck. <laughs> we just talked about it. Well, it's cold as fuck at night and it's fucking like, like books burn. And, and only cold as shit in the day. <laughs> yeah, spontaneously. Well, it's, it's 232 degrees Celsius. For, so 450 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the temperature at which books automatically burst into flame. Oh, you're talking about what was we that? Were just talking about it. Yeah, it was uh, in Tom. Tom yeah. remembers the name, but it was something like in crematorium or some crematorium. Yeah, so that was the whole idea. Was that, and that's why the walls on some of the walls I have those giant PC fans. So the whole idea is yeah. that there's these giant air conditioning units that are used to keep the Mechanicum area kind of tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> not not instant death. Yeah, not not instantly death. So the other. Planets in the system are Ragnar, which is a night world, has a population of 360 million. It is a moderately populated night world, and it is the home to House Crastus. It has a very small Skaven population. I'll introduce a little bit more about each of these planets in the next episode. I just wanted to kind of give you guys some quick wrap-up details so we can end uh, before hour three. Ragnar 3 is an ice world. Ragnar 3 is another planet that's currently undergoing terraforming. Ragnar 4 is a dead world. Its surface was rendered lifeless during the purge of Ragnar 4 by the War Criers and the Mechanicum. It had been designated as the Skaven homeworld by Imperium Records. Unknown to the Imperium, Ragnar 4 is Far from lifeless, even though much of the planet's surface and subsurface were destroyed during the purge, near the core are several Skaven nests and underhives. Major astronomical bodies and anomalies that exist within the entire area. So these are things that aren't within one of the three systems. And again, I'm just going to give you guys a taste the Fenris Reef, designated as the astronomical feature F-NR5, this area exists to the galactic southeast on the edge of the Skaldmar worlds. Known more commonly as the Fenris Reef, it is made up of a scattering of shattered worlds, sundered planetoids, asteroids, and dead comets. All of these features are close enough to be moved between with minimal effort. The lack of atmosphere and magnetosphere making travel between the closest chunks as easy as running and jumping. This area is extremely treacherous to spacecraft and near impossible to map, but also extremely rich in resources to those willing to brave the reef's seemingly temperamental nature. It is theorized that the reef was once a complete star system whose main star either collapsed or was consumed by the warp anomaly known as the Jormander Rift. So if you played or if you know anything about like Destiny lore, there's an area called... Um, I can't remember what it's called, like the Tangled Reef or something. And I really like the idea that that represented that there's just like space junk that's kind of like, like, like all of these little chunks of planets are close enough that you can walk or like jump from one to the other. It's just a cool fucking idea. I'm like, how do I get that? So Fortress Ghost Hide. Hidden deep within the reef is a Skaven stronghold made up 
of another space hulk, along with assorted junk scavenged from satellites and even entire sections of space stations or debris from various warships. The fortress is controlled by the Yeshin clan and their pirate fleet. So this is another Skaven. Cartel. Yeah, cartel. Thank you. The last area is called the Scar Worlds. These are five planets torn from neighboring systems by the Yarnmonder Rift and spat out or thrown into loose orbits around the edge of the rift itself. These planets are known as the Scar Worlds and not, not much is known about them. So these are actually planets that were torn away from systems outside the Skaldmar worlds and they were like flung with warp fuckery into the world and they just kind of exist uh, inside and I don't, I'm not really I'm still developing what I'm doing with them um, the Fenris Reef and the Scar worlds are the most underdeveloped area they're just kind of teases uh, we will we will return next episode with an explanation of Ragnar, which is a deeper explanation of Ragnar, which is my night world. And then the ice world of Ragnar three. War criers, uh, genocide. Yep. It got Ragnar three, right? Ragnar four was the one that was exterminatist. Oh, okay. It was purged. Three three is the ice world. Three is an, yeah, it's an ice world undergoing terraforming. There's not really a lot to know about it. And I feel that that's never done. I feel that there's never a, this planet is undergoing development like that. That doesn't happen in 40 K a lot, which is why I have a couple of worlds scattered in where it's like, Oh, they don't know what they're doing with this yet. They're currently working on it. Mm, yeah. So, so the idea would be that Ragnar three would be turned into an agri world at some point. Uh, I, I actually have some details on what's currently grown there. Cause they, you know, they can essentially harvest deep sea fish and stuff currently ragnar is another world that has quite a dense chunk to it because it's my my night house world so i don't want to i don't want to dive into it and go over anymore on time we'll return with a little bit more explanation on ragnar and ragnar 3 this is the only system that i did that stereotypical 40k thing with by the way where i have four planets that all have the same name and then we will get into the culture of the Skaldmard worlds and a little bit of their history. Yeah. I want to hear more about the cartels. That's a, that's a really, I like the idea. It sounds cool. Cool. Yeah. So the way that I have it broken down is it notable uh, worlds and notable features first, which we'll finish up next time. And then I have Imperial based culture and lore in history. And then I have, the history of the orcs, the history of the Skaven, and the history of the Prescient. Uh, yeah, right on. Yeah. And then, of course, I've got, it, it, you guys probably already saw, or you guys probably already heard, Marky, you already heard, there's there's a couple of little clues to, there might be some exodites here. There's some, I'm sure one of the questions that you probably are wondering is, am I going to do anything with the war criers moving forward? And uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm actually considering it. Um. I know I've been asked by people in the past who've, who've looked over this. They're like, Oh, are you going to bring the war criers back now that the, the primaris are a thing? And at first I was like, fuck no, I specifically developed, or I specifically took the lore of my space Marine chapter away that nobody ever does. My space Marines died. Like they're gone. It is a dead chapter, but the whole, the whole thing is they still tithed. So somebody still has gene seed banks. So now I'm kind of playing around with that idea of maybe, maybe the Imperium does do something with it. I'm, I'm, I'm screwing around with all of it right now. I kind of like the idea of just making a, 
38k army you know like setting setting it before this is my pre 40k yeah, post heresy army of the war war criers like this is yeah, yeah. we're specifically playing like some old silly battle or whatever <laughs> yeah none of these guys exist anymore or or like hey these three guys are the guys who are now entombed in dreadnoughts and then uh yeah and it, it, it's in i'm playing around with what i might want to do with it. it it'd be kind of cool to take it a couple of different ways and i don't know i like the whole idea of retiring my space Marines in a very heroic way though. Like they died almost to the last man. And I really like that flavor. Yeah, same. It's neat. Anyway, uh, any questions, any things, any other things? I got a couple, but I'm going to reserve them for, uh, Uh, for the next one. It's, it's, I I don't know how I would tie it in, but I guess it could be tied in planets wise, but I'll, I'll, I'll save it for the next one. Okay, cool. Did you write them down? Uh, yeah, I, I had, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I made sure you wrote them down. Yeah. Cool, yeah otherwise this is lost forever. <laughs> Kevin and Tom obviously did not join us today. Just, uh, with the holiday stuff continuing with new year continuing and all, <laughs> and all of that, those guys just, uh, have kind of busy schedules. We are, it is the new year. It is 2022. We are planning on doing some we're planning on bringing you guys some some new streaming. We're planning on getting some more content out for you. Please reach out to us if you have any questions about anything we talked about in this episode, any insights into the lore that you've already heard, um, or anything like that, or any of your own lore at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. If you guys like the content that we are producing, thank you very much. We are glad to have you as part of our growing community over on Discord. You can also find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. We spend a lot of time developing this content for you guys. We hope that you really enjoy it. And one of the ways to show us how much you enjoy it is to join us on Patreon. We have a $3, a $6, and a $9 level. That $3 level gets you into our painting contests and it gets you access to our video podcast. For those of you who have only ever listened to us, Marky and I are on webcams right now, so you can see our faces. You can also hear all of the blunders and all of the stuff that we cut out either for timing or uh, non-relevance. We'll talk about, I don't fucking know, we'll talk about desktop speakers for like a 40-minute chunk because one of us said something that made us think about Logitech speakers. Yeah. If you want that, if you want that in your life, Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the place for you. You get a little bit extra content, basically. Yeah, we, we've got a lot of stuff that we're planning on doing this year as we approach year one of the podcast. So please come along with the journey. Join us on Discord. You can join us on Discord for free. You can get that super awesome tag, though, if you join our Patreon or if you subscribe to us on Twitch. If you do decide to join us on Patreon or Twitch subscription, feel free to join one of the gangs, the underhive gangs that we have in our own personal lore, our podcast lore that everyone is a part of. Everybody is a part of our podcast lore. If you'd like to build on that, you can also do that in the uh, Jim Dark Gaming Discord. Uh, It's all in there. Hive Project, yeah. Yeah, our Hive Project, exactly. 
Uh, we do have the four gangs between said but unsaid between Ryan, <laughs> myself, Tom, and Kevin. That we each have uh, a gang. Feel free that to join designed. one of those. I see some yeah. of you guys are still, uh, you know, little uh, forearm dempers, which are the children of the hive. And if you want to stay them forever, that's fine. But if you really want to, you know, uh, grow up, uh, you know, Nutty <laughs> Jays are always there. For you. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you gonna plug the Jays? <laughs> We uh, we do have more lore on each of the gangs of the Underhive and how they work. Uh, we've all developed at least a hero, so there's some some standouts. We've also got some ideas on what they look like. I know we've gotten a couple of questions from our patrons on what they look like. Um, I know at least one of our patrons is interested in potentially modeling, doing some kit bashing, and putting putting together okay. some gangers. That'd so that'd be dope. Yeah. If you guys like the podcast and you are unable to donate to our Patreon, there are a couple of other ways to help us out and they help us out massively. That's to like us and rate us on Spotify. That's the, I'm sorry, follow us and rate us on Spotify, like and rate us on Apple podcasts and make sure on any of those other podcast venue, not venues, locations, locations that you can find us that you do whatever else that they kind of call for rating and doing those reviews very much helps us just get to the, the next group of people that they, they help a lot and, and we, we appreciate it. Yeah. We also very much like just hearing what people have to say about the podcast. We've gotten some great five-star ratings. We haven't gotten any bad ratings yet. <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen, but we got yeah. some pretty, we got some pretty good and pretty funny five-star ratings. Mine didn't so. go through yet. No, no. Oh, that was it. you. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in a segment called Ryan reads, I, I talked about this with Ickbard. One of the past podcasts I was in was called nerd funnel. And we had a segment called Ryan reads where I literally read mean tweets about me. <laughs> People would be like, oh, that jackass doesn't even know how to talk. And they'd like write something and then I'd read it on the podcast. You need a segment like that. We do. We do need a segment like that. <laughs> Not Ryan in particular, but you know. I just, uh, I, Tom I always. Far, or Kevin farts. Kevin farts. Right. <laughs> we read Kevin's farts. This one is. <laughs> <laughs> we have a segment called Kevin farts. It's when everybody's like, oh God, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin already gets his own segment, whether we like it or not. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's uh, that'll wrap it up for this episode of this uh, this holiday special, our second holiday special. Now I have to end the podcast in the lore way. I have yeah, to lore uh, end it. The glass eaters are coming in close. It's time to get the fuck out. Oh, that's what that noise is. That's uh, why yeah, it's hot. It's, it's, it was well, hot in here, and it then is I hot hear. In here. I, and you I hear feel like chewing. I hear someone chewing on glass. Yeah, it's really weird. Why do they do that? I, I think it's a digestive thing. <laughs> so it helps them digest that rat meat or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it goes in it goes in easy, but it comes out a little rough. It, co <laughs> it comes out jagged. <laughs> well, as Marky pointed out, we're going to need to run here for 665.66 UHMR Camrat Radio. We'd like to wish all of you Camrats and Hive Mice a fantastic new year as we head into the next turnaround, the Innsmouth Hive Sun. The entire planet is Innsmouth Hive. I, I, I don't want, don't teach me anything about the outside world. It's just us. Remember, when you find yourself in the company of a four-armed emperor and he wants to read you some of his poetry, he's not very good at it, and he's probably going to bite your neck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. why would you ever fall for that? Hey, I got some poetry not, to read for you. Po- what? You're like, you're what? a liar. You're just a liar. <laughs> you're a fucking liar, man. I see. <laughs> I know you want this. You want a piece of this. I know I know what you're about. <laughs> then they bite into your neck and you and you got you're that. Like, I knew it's it. spurting out a little bit, a little bit. You got that last minute and you just go, <gasps> motherfucker. <laughs> I got you. That was good. I got you. That was good. All right, man.